Hello and welcome to this episode of the Talent Parent Programme podcast from the British Canoeing England Talent Programme. Hello, welcome to this Talent Parent Programme podcast episode covering the topic of sleep. So sleep is something that we all do and is really important human task and is equally important within the world of sport. In this podcast, we'll be talking about the importance of sleep, getting into good sleeping habits and the key principles of getting a good night's kit. I'm delighted today to be joined by Luke Gupta, the physiology consultant with the English Institute of Sport and an expert on sleep. So hi, Luke. Hi there. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Joining myself and Luke today is not one or two, but four Tokyo Olympians who will be sharing their experiences of sleeping when at a major event and how they use sleep as part of the recovery process. That's right, you're not dreaming. We're joined by Canoe Slalom, Tokyo C1 silver medalist and multiple world and European medalist, Mallory Franklin. Hi, Mallory. Hi. And we've got multiple world and European medalist and kayak Tokyo finalist, Kimberly Woods. Hello. And we've got Canoe Sprint's K1 200 metre World Cup bronze medalist and Tokyo finalist, Deborah Kerr. Hi. And finally, we have C1 200 metre World Cup bronze medalist and Tokyo quarter finalist, Katie Reid. Hi, everyone. Okay, it's great to have you all with us. And I'm going to dive straight in with a question to you first, Luke. So, why is sleep so important? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll try and give you the simple answer because um, sleep is fairly complex and we don't actually know that much about it, but I'll give it a shot. So sleep basically supports the physical, mental and emotional demands of training, competition, recovery and just general living. So simply put, it helps us restore from the wear and tear of our brains and bodies during the daytime. So physically put, it helps us rebuild muscle and repair damage. So we're basically ready to go the next day. And then psychologically or mentally and emotionally, it basically allows us to retain information and actually learn. So all the skills that um, athletes may learn, um, all the information they may receive from their coach or even in school, any information that you retain, it only gets put into your brain or the long-term memory part of your brain during sleep. So you can't actually learn without it. So for those reasons, it's pretty fundamental just for athletic careers that um, sleep is a part of that. That's great, yeah. So it's, as you mentioned, like a key recovery process for an uh, elite athlete, well, uh, uh, any athlete for that matter. And um, also it's important for the other mental aspects of learning as well. Um, so how many hours of sleep should we aim to get each night? Um, so for adults, it's between seven and nine hours. So there's a lot of messaging out in the media at the moment that people who are athletic need more sleep than that. But there doesn't seem to be much support for that in any sort of research. So generally we go by the realms of seven to nine hours for adults, but there will be some people that need more than that and others that can function on less. But there's another factor that determines this, and that's age. So if you're a teenager, 
you'll need more than seven to nine hours. You'll need probably around eight to 10 hours of sleep. And as you get older or when you reach adulthood, you'll need less sleep. So yeah, for younger athletes, we're aiming for at least eight hours. Yeah, I, I personally would love eight hours sleep um, if I can get eight hours sleep at night. But um, yeah, I definitely think that I uh, need a bit more sleep than uh, um, seven hours, that's for sure. So should an athlete have a sleep routine? Is there anything uh, as such um, they need to have? Yeah, really good question. Um, so again, there's the first thing I want to say on this is that there's no sort of winning routine to good sleep. Um, there's some key principles around having a routine that will allow sleep to happen more readily. So the fact that anyone has a routine full stop is a good place to be. And what basically a routine means is doing something over and over again that it becomes a learnt behaviour. So our sleep functions well when things are predictable and they happen time and time again. So for example, a really simple example is just by brushing your teeth at, a same, at the same time of night will be a message to your brain that sleep's about to happen. So sometimes the actual things that you do aren't as important as how regular you do those things, if that makes sense. And basically what that is saying is that it's important to have a routine and it's important to do it time and time again. But underneath that, there are some certain things that people can do that will increase the likelihood of sleep happening or things that they shouldn't do that may stop sleep from happening. So a few of those, um, obviously I won't go through every single one because that list could be endless and mm -hmm. it would be different for everyone. At the end of the day, it's all about preparing for sleep. And in the same way that athletes prepare to perform, um, we need to do the same with sleep. We need to prepare, except it's not sort of trying to wind yourself up. You're trying to wind yourself down. So the key is allowing a bit of time before you attempt to sleep to allow your body to naturally come to a state of mind, body, um, and also your emotional state. So it's ready to sleep. So things like watching TV or anything that's relaxing is a good thing to do in advance of sleep. The worst thing to do is if you've just finished training or you've just had a big meal um, or you've just done something which is pretty exciting, jumping straight into bed and trying to sleep is means that sleep's less likely to happen. It's better to have a relaxing period of time before trying to sleep. So that's sort of the behavior side to it. There is the environmental side to it, again, which people talk about quite a lot. So what should your room be like? So typically it should be cool, it should be dark, and it should be quiet, if, if that's possible, depending on who you live with and um, what other family members are doing. Um, but, and it should be pretty boring as well, actually. So in essence, it's like a cave. So your room should be like a cave. And if I say it should be boring because if it's not boring, the likelihood is you'll start to engage with other things in your room that are more exciting than sleep, like your computer or your phone, all those types of things. So yeah, those are the sort of the basic principles of having a routine. Right, that, that's good. Um, I'm gonna go to a couple of the athletes now. Um, Katie and Deborah, I'm gonna come to you um, first. Um, based on kind of what Luke's just mentioned around the importance of having a sleep routine, um, do either of you have um, tried to have a sleep routine? And if so, what, what's that sort of look like? I'll start with yourself, Deborah. Uh, yeah, just kind of, I don't think I've really set one in stone. 
but um, kind of like what Luke was saying, I tend to brush my teeth at the same time every night. And then that kind of triggers something in my brain. I go, oh, I'm quite tired now. And recently, um, I've, I've not been very good at reading in the past. I know Katie will say different. <laughs> She's a good reader. Um, but I have like just found a book that I've been really interested in and it's really helped with my kind of wind down just before I go to bed. So um, I'm not that strict on it, but there's a few little things that I do that really help me. That's good. Um, what about yourself, Katie? Uh, similar things or anything different? Yeah, I, Deborah just said that I enjoy reading. I do, but I can't read before bed because it activates my mind too much, my imagination. I, I, um, I probably have quite a, a long wind down process where like I will switch up off all the lights from like nine o'clock. Um, and then I, I know you're not supposed to be on your phone, but I have like the blue light filter on and then it's quite odd, but I'll watch like some YouTube videos, but without any volume, with, but with subtitles. So it's just like, it's quite relaxing for me. And then, yeah, I'm guaranteed to, to drift off with like 10 minutes, but I don't like this similar. I don't really have like a really strict routine because when we go away, you can't always follow that. For example, we've just been in Seville and um, like dinner times at eight o'clock at night, which is way later than what I would normally eat. So then trying to go to sleep at your usual bedtime after a big meal is, is really difficult. And I found that quite hard. So yeah, I think it, it is important to, to kind of wind down, but it kind of has to be a bit adaptable as well. Because um, if not, like I think if you if you in stuck in like a really strict routine, I think you get a bit stressed, like, oh, it's 10 o'clock, still not sleeping, half 10, still not sleeping. So yeah, I think it's just taking your time really and and really trying to settle. That, that, that helps me a lot. That's good. I'm going to pick up on, on one thing you mentioned there and um, back over to, to you, Luke. Um, Katie mentioned about um, when out to Seville, they were eating a bit later and, and you mentioned it at the beginning about trying to avoid a big meal. Um, if athletes are having to eat later because the way it is when they're at a training camp in Europe and eating times are a bit later. Um, roughly speaking, what, how long should you kind of wait until after a big meal be able to sleep and have a good night's sleep? Is there a, a exact science on that? Uh, I don't think there's an exact science, unfortunately. Um, it would be different in everyone. And obviously it depends what you've eaten. If you've had like a roast dinner uh, before bed, then obviously it would take a lot longer than if you've just had like a lighter meal choice. So I suppose it's a combination of one appreciating that your routine is different and you may have to reset your bedtime to be later opposed to avoid eating, for example, which sometimes happens. Um, people just decide not to eat and they prefer to go to bed at the same time. Whereas obviously eating is a huge part of recovery and it's encouraged that people do eat adequately in the evening um, so they can refuel for the next day. So sometimes it's okay to go to bed later than normal because at the end of the day, um, you can't force yourself to sleep as much as it's good to have a routine. Um, and that makes sleep easier. As Katie sort of said, you, you can't sort of, you've got to sort of take your time with this. And sometimes it will take longer. Sometimes it will just happen. And it's sort of just being aware of that is, is important. Um, we're going to probably talk a little bit in the podcast around um, sleeping night before competition, but picking up on what Luke mentioned about the recovery process, I'm going to come to you um, both next, Mallory and Kimberly. Um, 
when you think about sleep and how it's used as a part of your recovery process, how did it compare with your Olympic preparations to how you might have approached sleep when you were a junior athlete? I'm going to start with you, Valerie. Um, I think when I was junior, I probably just thought about it less. I think I generally tended to dig my hole and dig myself into a little bit of a hole in my training. I was just tired and I found it quite easy then to get the sleep that was needed on top of like uni or school it was I was generally pretty tired and I think that I've always been someone that goes to bed quite early and didn't necessarily have to get up that early so I generally was didn't really didn't really think about it very much whereas I think more recently and around the Olympics I was trying to be a bit more clinical with going to bed at a certain time and going through elements of process to be able to sleep better um, and allowing myself to sleep properly Um, and I definitely feel like now I'm more aware of like using sleep for recovery better and being aware of trying to get a good night's sleep if I'm particularly like having a hard training day or just feel like the week's getting on top of me a bit just try and get a bit of good sleep in to just try and give my body that little boost to get through the rest of my training and yeah I'd probably say that I'm mostly just more aware now and therefore use it better than when I did when I was younger. That's good it's um, part of the, the learning process I suppose of, 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 as you're the journey as a senior athlete um, is that the same for you, Kim? Um, any, how was your sleep when looking back as a junior and, and your, with it, your sleep pattern when you were in your Olympic preparations? Was it a lot different? Um, I think very similar in terms of like, I'm more aware of it now and I think about it a lot more nowadays than I did 10 years ago. Um, I think I'm not as much of a strict routine. I just kind of go to bed roughly around the same time. And if I can't sleep, I can't sleep. I'm kind of really bad for it, but I kind of go on my phone. And um, Similar to uh, what Katie said about reading a book, I try all sorts of things. Um, sometimes I like to read a book, but then I find myself not wanting to put it down. <laughs> so I sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't, but I'm not very like strict on what I do um but in the last month actually I've probably been a lot better in my sleep than I have ever um which is really like strange to me because um I've been getting more than eight hours like every single day and I actually feel a lot better for it whereas before I never really thought about it so it's something I'll probably take forward but um it changed a bit around Olympic preparations and I used to be so much worse um when I was younger I used to get like maybe six because uh, I have to wake up really early in the morning to go to school and um then I get back really late and then not want to go to sleep or I talk to my friends online and things like that so I was much worse for it but I'm a lot better now that's good yeah I'm going to sort of move on a little bit slightly now and and talk um a bit more around sort of competitions and sleeping so I'm going to uh, focus on two two areas uh, the first of all um how do you establish a sleep routine when training and competing abroad in the heat. So I know that a lot of, uh, for all of you, you're um, competing in Europe in the summer or even over in the world where it's quite hot and the climate is completely different to the UK. Um, Is it difficult, challenging to to get a a sleep routine when it's that hot? Um, What's your thoughts on that, Deborah? Yeah, it definitely is. I won't lie, I get to sleep pretty easily in comparison to a lot of my other teammates um so it doesn't affect me too much but it's like anything when you're well I live in a top floor flat and it gets really really hot in the summer you know we get those like 
three days in July or whenever it's like 30 degrees and no one can sleep. So it's just, it is just kind of the same. Luckily, when you're in some of these hotels abroad, there is the luxury of air conditioning and things like that. But um, I think you, you need to be really careful during the day as well as in the evening with the heat. It can just totally zap all of your energy. Um, so sleep is really important when it's hot. And um, I think around competitions, your adrenaline's that a little bit higher, that can stop you from sleeping as well. So there's like a few different components to it. So just wherever I can get sleep in around that time, I try. So if it's a nap in the middle of the day, then I'll take that as well. Yeah, that's good. And um, what about yourself, Katie? Um, have you had a, any experiences or of when it, you've not been able to sleep because it's been really hot when you've been out at uh, um, a competition or training camp? Yeah, like Deb's just said, we're quite lucky that a lot of the places we go to have aircon. But I remember, um, I remember a training camp before the Worlds. I think maybe twenty eighteen. We went to Spain. And it was unbelievably hot and we didn't have any aircon. And so many people were struggling to sleep. Um, but what I, what I found helpful was just not spending time in my room. Um, or like not having like computers on in the room because they, they produce a lot of heat. Um, and then try not to like lay on my bed unless I'm sleeping. Just trying to keep things as cool as possible helped. But then in terms of like competition and sleeping around then, it's like, it's like Deb said, nerves play a big part you're constantly thinking about about racing so it's just trying for me it's just trying to find other ways to to distract myself um and to make myself sleepy so I like jigsaws so normally I take a jigsaw out to a competition that just like yeah it helps distract me from from those thoughts um and then also I guess as well you're, you're sharing a room, room with someone else so the environment's completely different um, which sometimes takes a few days to get used to because um, everyone has their own routine. Um, some people like to have their laptops on late at night. Other people like to listen to music. It's, 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 it, I think it's communicating that with, with your roommate and kind of sharing how you like to wind down. And um, yeah, so, 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 so both people can like, yeah, settle properly and try and get a, a good night's sleep. Like, um, you picked up on a couple of things there, Luke mentioned at the beginning about the, the behaviour and environment. Um, just come to, to you again, Luke. Um, you know, some of the things that Katie and, and Deborah mentioned there, um, do you think that they're good strategies that they've put in place or any other recommended strategies for them? Yeah, absolutely. The, the fact they've got approaches to sleep when away is a, is a great thing sleeping away from your normal bedroom is always going to be a challenge um, because your sleep has learnt over time that this environment, this place, this room is where sleep happens. As soon as you up sticks and go to somewhere else that's different, um, your sleep isn't going to be as rested as it was straight away. It takes time to adapt to that new place. Um, and as Katie and Deborah sort of said, like obviously in the lead up to competitions in particular, it's very rare you get an athlete who sleeps well um, around periods of competition because things like thinking becomes more intense. You start to think about the competition more. And that's the same as if someone was thinking about an exam or even trying to catch a train the next day, all those sort of things 
that places an importance on something that's happening the next day will interfere with someone's ability to fall asleep. So the two things that are going on there is one of how do you reduce thinking? And sometimes you can't. But what we do know is that sleepiness trumps thinking. So again, doing something like Katie said, like doing a jigsaw puzzle, or which will, does two things. One, it, it distracts her, but also it makes her stay up later. So she's going to be more sleepy. So when she does fall asleep, it's likely to be more successful. Um, and that could be anything, really. It doesn't have to be a jigsaw puzzle, whatever sort of is relaxing for someone. And the other one is familiarity, which is what well, the challenge I always give people is how do you create a home from home? So some people like to take their pillowcase with them. Some people like to take photos of loved ones, even a teddy bear, that sort of thing. Something that you can relate to your bedroom at home can sometimes help you adapt quicker to a new environment. So those are the two things that usually stop people sleeping from being on the road whilst accepting that it's never going to be as good as it is at home just because it's quite a stressful environment in the lead up to competition. That's a really good tip. And anyone bring anything from home um, when they're travel away at all? Or anything that they like to share? I've had people <laughs> smiling, but I don't think anyone's willing to maybe share maybe what they maybe bring. There's, uh, there's definitely them. plenty of teddies that appear on trips, 100%. <laughs> ah, that's nice. <laughs> um, finally, Luke, um, would one night's bad sleep affect performance at all? Um, in the, if someone's got pretty good sleep in the lead up to competition and they have a couple of nights of bad sleep, the effects of those bad nights sleep aren't really realized in performance. They may be in other things like mood and they may feel more anxious about the performance than normal. But generally speaking, a couple of nights bad sleep doesn't really have an effect. But if you're someone who has poor sleep for a long period of time and you add two more nights of bad sleep on that then that that's a slightly different story um, but even in that situation that person has almost got used to having bad sleep so whether that translates into bad performance it's probably more likely but um, they might have some way of coping with it better than others if that makes sense yeah yeah so I'll kind of link in that question to um, a question around sleep and performance I'm um, going to come to you um, next, Mallory and Kim, around um, what's it like getting to sleep a night before the first day of a major competition? So thinking about um, when it was the Olympics, your, before your you know, the first run and everything like that, um, what was your sleep like um, in, uh, in Tokyo? Um, so I tend to find that, especially around big races, it's really hard for me to switch my brain off. I do a lot of thinking. I mean, I generally struggle on a normal day. Um, some of the things that's really helped me um, is I tend to listen to sleep casts. So they're like little, they're pretty much bedtime stories, but they're like visualizing places and they're set up to kind of slowly like the speech slows down and everything slowly draws you into a space where you get hooked on it and then there'd be longer gaps and so you, I fall asleep really easily with them generally but that's generally what I try to use is just to try and distract my brain and actively think about something else as I try and fall asleep um but for me like yeah that's probably the biggest thing trying to keep the room nice and cold and kind of leave myself to fall asleep yeah mostly I just try and the sleep cast to distract myself You'll have to send me a couple of them because, uh, yeah, I think that's something I need, to be honest. Yeah. Um, 
Tim, um, when it when you're out in Tokyo, um, and did yours? Do you feel that your sleep got better as you kind of progressed from the heats to the finals, or was it the opposite way round, and um, or, or was it quite consistent all the way through? Um, I actually don't remember that much. I think, sadly, it's a moment I've kind of blocked out of my mind to make me upset. But um, I think it's it's really interesting when the girls talk about the aircon stuff because I can't keep the aircon. It it I remember in, in 2018 I did it once, and I'm well I didn't I left it quite late. Um, in the night to turn it off, I woke up I was cold symptoms I was horrific and my asthma was really bad and then ever since then I've never slept back on because I know it makes me really congested and I get horrible night's sleep and yeah it's just not very nice for me so I've always avoided not doing that and proactively having it on in the day and then that helps me it helps the, the cool uh, the room cool down and be cold enough for me to sleep I don't really have an issue sleeping with heat which is quite thankful for um but I think leading up to a race I think it's rare that I get really frustrated that I can't or like my brain's thinking so much about the race that I can't sleep there are some occasions but I won't be able to pinpoint exactly when those are um I think it's very inconsistent for me when that happens but similar to Mal I kind of have this app called um insight timer which kind of helps it's a bit a bit like mindfulness and helps me recognize what my body's feeling and where I'm where I'm tense and things like that so then I relax from head to toe and then I find myself actually just just then asleep um so that's really useful to do that's good that you kind of developed your own process I'm, I'm quite similar to you actually Kim in that um you know if I go away and go abroad I can't really sleep with aircon either and it, it kind of makes my throat bad so I feel like you you kind of know what's worked well for you and you follow through with that yeah um I'm going to ask everyone and um, same question really uh, is there any of uh, a big learning that you've had around sleep at all um looking back maybe from when you were a junior to now as a, as a senior athlete thank you Mine is probably just to not overcomplicate it. I am a good sleeper, which I've already mentioned, so I don't struggle with it that much. But the, I remember in 2015, the night before my first K1 international finals, and I was just an absolute mess to the point where I had to go on a walk along the beach with my mum, who was staying at a hotel a few blocks down, just to try and calm myself down. I was convinced I had a stomach bug, I was going to lose the race. I wasn't even going to get on the start line. And kind of like what Luke was saying, that one bad night doesn't cancel out the 364 other good night's sleep that you've had the rest of the year. So I think my biggest learning from even just that competition when I was 17 is to just not overthink things, which is so easy to say, but um, just really simplifying everything and taking it kind of minute by minute if that's what you have to do like not thinking about tomorrow's race or even what you're going to eat at breakfast tomorrow thinking about okay I'm gonna read a chapter of my book or whatever and that's really really good advice for a junior athlete there yeah thank you um I'm gonna um finish up on a bit of a myth buster game for everyone so I hope everyone's ready um gonna say a statement and then is it you're gonna ask answer whether you think that that's true or whether that's a myth so katie 
alcohol helps you to sleep. Is that true or a myth? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to say depending on how much you drink of it, but probably, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it might, I'm going to say myth. Correct, yes. So apparently alcohol induces drowsiness that makes it easier to initially fall asleep, but the problem is your quality of sleep declines considerably after drinking alcohol. Uh, yeah, so well done there, got that one right. Um, Deborah, coffee keeps you awake. Is that true or is that a myth? Uh, I'm going to go against what I think and say myth. Oh, you should have went for your gut. It's true. Uh. <laughs> Coffee's a stimulant, tries to keep you awake and alert. Makes sense. Um, Mallory, napping makes up for a lack of sleep at night. Is that true or is that a myth? Um, I'm going to say true. Oh, oh, it's a myth. No. Um, <laughs> while a good nap can provide a boost of energy, it's not a substitute for a good quality night of sleep. And finally, Kimberly, within five minutes of waking up, any dreams you might have will be forgotten. Is that true or is that a myth? Might be forgotten. Then, yeah, myth. That is true. It, it's true. <laughs> 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 Sigmund Freud believed that it was because dreams represent our aggressed thoughts and so our brain wants to get rid of them so quickly. However, it's much more likely that due to the fact that our brains are simply being used so much more as when we're awake that we just really forget what we've dreamt about anyway. Right, that, that concludes the end of our uh, Mythbuster game. Um, just want to say a, a big thank you to you all for um, joining us on this sleep podcast and being involved in today's episode. This podcast is available on the British Canoeing Talent Parent Programme webpage and on the podcast section on our, on our website. It's also available to listen to on Spotify, Podbean or Apple podcast channels. You just need to follow British Canoeing Talent Parent Programme. So thank you all, Deborah, Mallory, Katie, Kimberly, and Luke. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.